Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Grandparents say to all of you, our wildlife kids can be dismissed with their wildlife guides. We love y'all. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of the word. We baptized Ashton in the 9 o'clock service today. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. We love Ashton. So happy for what God's doing in his life. It was great to have his family here. 2 Kings 4 is where we're going. I've got a lengthy reading, but I'll move quickly and skip around. Verse 11, and it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. This is Elisha. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, excuse me, I hear uh, the Leslie on the organ clapping, and got to turn that off. Sorry, guys, on the live feed. So this is Elisha, and he said to his servant Gehazi, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned with us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king? Or to the commander of the army? She answered, I'm fine. I mean, basically. So he said, what then is to be said for her? And Gehazi said, well, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Everybody say that was her dream. That was her dream. And she said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. It happened one day, went out with his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head is hurting. He said to the servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him, he brought him to his mother, sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. Everybody say, Her dream died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, went out. She called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men, one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Everybody say, Really? It is well. I thought your dream just died. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she said, It is well. To the natural eye, the dream seemed dead. But through the eyes of faith, The dream was still alive. And I want to preach a message about dreams still being alive. The dream lives on. Let's say a prayer right now. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, God. And, and God, I pray for encouragement, Lord, to those who feel like their dreams are on hold right now. Or maybe they've, they've written them off as being dead. I pray that you would bring fresh vision and life to those dreams, and we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
Somebody say the dream lives on. Shunem was about 16 miles east of Elisha's home on Mount Carmel. The, the Shunammite woman was, was said to be a, a noble and a great woman, meaning a, a well-to-do and influential woman. And, and, and Elisha lived over here 16 miles away on Mount Carmel. He lived up on the mountain. We've been there. Anthony, you've been there. and it, It's pretty cool because you have a, a vantage point. He could, he could see any time somebody was coming up. That's why he was able to say, hey, look, it's the Shunammite woman coming up, coming up the hill. And this Shunammite woman, she was well-to-do. She was respectable. She was also perceptive. She, she observed Elijah over a period of time and determined that he was a holy man of God. And, and that kind of insight really, really takes some time. I mean, it, you know, some people it's obvious, but the more you're around them, you start to question and think maybe my first impression was wrong. And then other people... It's less obvious, but the more time you spend with them, you realize they're in touch with God. And so it, it does take some time. That's why Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.22, lay hands suddenly on no man. Now, I grew up in a church where we believed in the laying on of hands, y'all. We believed in the laying on of hands. And I'm going to tell you right now, we still believe in the laying on of hands. You're still in a church that believes in the laying on of hands. The Bible says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, you know, lay hands on them. Lay hands. Look at your hand. Lay hands on Touch people. Touch, that's such a wrong thing to say nowadays, right? But lay hands on people. It's one, that's one of the foundational principles of the gospel of Christ. Hebrews 6 says that. You got repentance from dead works, pretty important. Faith towards God, pretty important. Doctrine of baptisms, pretty important. Laying on of hands. That's, that's one of the top tier doctrines, one of the teachings. And, and so I, I believe in the laying on of hands. And so when I used to read 1 Timothy 5.22, lay hands suddenly on no man, I thought it was instructing me not to, you know, like lay hands in a hurry on somebody, like quickly, like sneak up to them. And when they're not looking, poof. Like, just lay hands. And, and Paul was saying, Timothy, quit, cut that out. Quit freaking people out by laying hands suddenly on people. That's not, that's not what was being said here. The idea is this. There's another kind of laying on of hands. It's the laying on of hands to ordain someone into ministry. It, it's the, the support of the elders and the leaders of the church saying, we recognize God's hand on you, and we are sending you out, ordaining you into a ministry. That's why you have ordained ministers, stuff like that. The idea is this. Don't lay hands, don't ordain somebody into ministry until you know them. That's the point. And so it takes time to recognize that gifting and that calling on people's lives, and it did back then. And so it took some time for this woman, but, but she figured it out after a little bit of time that Elisha, as my grand, grandmother would say, was up to snuff. Anybody ever heard that statement? He was up to snuff. I mean, he, 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 was, he was spot on. And, and boy, was Elijah, Elisha ever spot on. He had burned his ox cart and killed his oxen, offering them as a sacrifice when he got called from, from Elijah, from the man of God. And, and the idea was this, I'm, I'm sacrificing my old life. I'm leaving my old life behind. I'll never go back to it. He had proven himself for over a decade 
as Elijah's water boy. He was Elijah's water boy. Served Elijah. So cool. Elisha is powerful, but he served Elijah. It reminds me, Brendan shared a story with me about Dave Thomas, you know, the founder of Wendy's. And Dave Thomas said, I got, I got my MBA before I got my GED. He said, what do you mean by that? My MBA is my mop and bucket attitude. I was not too big to serve, to clean toilets, to do all that kind of stuff. He said, I got my MBA before I got my GED. And, and, and that's where Elisha was. I mean, he was willing to serve Elijah for over a decade. He proved himself. He was not in the prophetic ministry to get his name on some marquee somewhere. He was in it for the right reasons. And he had proven that. And not only that, he had been told, if you see Elijah when the Lord takes him up, then you will be able to get his mantle, which was speaking of a transference of Elijah's anointing. As a matter of fact, double portion is the word that's used there, the phrase that's used, and it's the inheritance of a firstborn. And Elisha had desired this, wanted this. This was a dream in his own life. And he, and he asked for it. And the, the, the word was, if you'll stay with Elijah through thick and thin and witness his departure, you'll get that double portion that you're after. And, and Elijah had seven notable miracles. Elisha had 14. So he did get a double portion. That 14th one came after he had died. His bones were in a pit and a, a, a corpse was thrown into that pit, hit the bones of Elisha, and, and the man came to life. So he got it. Now, if you do a careful study and you add the prophecies as well, then Elijah had 14 miracles and Elisha had 28. But either way, you get a double portion. So here's the deal. Given some time, you could feel, if you hung out with Elisha, you could feel the gravitas of his ministry, the depth of his experience, and the power of the anointing of God that was on him because of his faithfulness and sincerity, that genuine call of God. Are you with me? Now, some scholars say that the Shunammite woman owned a cafe. A cafe. Like she had a front porch dining establishment open to the public. And Elisha would frequent her establishment as he passed through. So he'd be going to and from his house. He'd be like, I'm hungry. I think I'll stop over here at old uh, Shunammite's Cafe. And one day, the Shunammite woman suggested to her husband, ah, there's something special about Elisha. Why don't we, so, I mean, this is, think about it, it's 16, some scholars say 20 miles as far as Shunamm to Mount Carmel. So he's 20 miles away from his house. That's a, he walking, you know, he walking. Maybe riding a donkey. They love to ride donkeys in these days. But still, that's a long trip. So there had to be times when he was tired. He's like, well, I got to head out to the house, you know. I'll get there in 17 hours, you know. That's okay. Don't worry about me. Well, she's like, hubby, why don't we build a room on to our house so when Elisha's here, we, we can spend some time with him. It's not so difficult on him. So you know what they did? They called Chip and Joanna. 
And they added on a room and they tore down walls because they wanted, you know, they wanted that open, that open floor plan. They're like, we got to tear these walls. We got to open this thing up. Oh, we got to open this thing. Let's tear down these walls. So, so they, and they painted everything white and they got white granite and they got gold chandeliers and light fixtures and they put gold handles on everything. And they, we got to get that big farm sink, you know. We got, they, they did all this stuff, man. They spent a fortune getting this thing just right for old Elisha. So not only did they feed him at the cafe, they housed him. What they were doing was making room for the prophet, making room for the word in their lives. That house became a place of rest and recovery for Elisha. He's out here dealing with Ahab and Ahab's family and Jezebel and, and, and her family and nations, and he needed some kind of repose, and they made a place for him that was a retreat. So she had been so kind to Elisha, and he asked her, what can I do for you? Thank you so much. I want to do something for you. And, and this is so cool because, I mean, she, she was content. She's like, I've got the word. I've got my handsome husband. I've got my lovely business here. I, I, it's all good. I'm fine. You see, she had not been blessing Elisha to try to get anything from him. She wasn't trying to twist God's arm. She was just honoring God and honoring his man and honoring his word. And then Gehazi pointed out, he said, but here's the deal, Elisha. She, she ain't got no boy. She ain't got no son. And her husband's old. And so that's when it happened. That's when Elisha was moved on and spoke to her and said, about this time next year, you're going to hold a son. She, she, was not, she was not trying to get this to happen, but God sovereignly put a dream into her heart. And she's moved with emotion. You can hear it in the language. She says, please don't lie to me, man of God. Now, now honestly, it appears that she had utmost confidence in Elisha and his word. The Hebrew is a little more expressive. It's basically saying, please, man of God, let what you say to me, to me, come to pass. I have confidence in what you say to others, but let what you say to me, please, let it really come to pass in my life. And so based on his word to her, she chose to embrace a dream. And the reason why is because he promised it to her. She just took him at his word. He had spoken it to her and it birthed a dream in her. She, she saw it. She embraced it in her spirit. And then one year later, just like he said, she was holding that dream in her arms. Isn't that cool? Now, I want to remind you that the theme at LifePoint Church for 2020 is Dare to Dream. And some of you started out this year with some mighty big dreams in your life. You dared to dream some big dreams. And the reason why is because we spent a month in January in prayer and fasting and seeking the face of God. And God spoke to us and dropped some dreams in our spirits. And we got a glimpse of something that he could do in our lives and how he could use us and bless us. He put a dream of possibilities in our spirit. 
We weren't serving God to get that. We weren't serving God to get a gold Cadillac or stupid stuff like that. But he birthed a dream in each of us. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The idea is this from the original language. When you're submissive and pliable to God, when you're submitted to God, he'll put those desires and dreams on the inside of you. He'll incept you. He'll plant those inside of you. Put them in your heart. And I want to tell you something. No disrespect to God, but, but our God, if our God's a bear, he's a grizzly. And when he puts dreams in your heart, I bet you they're big dreams. Not little dreams. If they're little tiny dreams, probably not a God dream. God puts big dreams on the inside of you because he wants to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that works in us. In Jesus' name. I believe God's given me and Valerie some dreams. I've shared these with, with, with some of you, with many of you. We call it our I am statement, part of our dreaming, because I am who I am says I am, and I can do what I am says I can do. Here's my I am statement and Valerie's I am statement. I'm a successful pastor of a powerful and growing church, and I lead with wisdom, excellence, boldness, and confidence. I don't care what anybody says about me. I lead with wisdom, excellence, boldness, and confidence. I'm a man of tremendous influence. I have favor with God, favor with man, and I am feared in hell. I plant and water with joy and faith, knowing God's giving the increase, and I'm anxious for not one thing. I am a ridiculous giver, known for my generosity, a blessing to the body of Christ worldwide. Life points a financial powerhouse with more than enough to do what God's called us to do. Debts are eliminated, reserves are generated, and people are looking at us and saying, of all people, I never thought it was you who was so blessed. Do you know in the middle of this pandemic, I've had people look at me and say, I never saw that coming in you, Donovan. I never thought that would happen. I'll tell you what, my God is able to bring dreams to pass. I'm getting ahead of myself, but even when it seems like there's no way... I'm going to tell you something else. I had a dream of becoming an author and writing a book, and I'm happy to say you can go get my book wherever books are sold now, and it'll teach you how to write your own personal I am statement. Dreams. It came out in the middle of a pandemic. Crazy. Crazy. Our dream for 2020 here at LifePoint was to see the church grow, to pay off debt, to become a multi-campus church, and I'm telling you, we're on track for all of the above. I know something about dreams. I know something about dreaming. And so do you. You have dreams. Dreams of seeing your family restored. Dreams of seeing your lost loved ones come to Jesus. Dreams of owning your own business. Dreams of seeing your finances turn around. Dreams of being just mightily used by God and launching out into some kind of ministry. And my assignment today is to encourage you to help you with your dream. God put this dream in this Shunammite woman's heart. Put this dream in her heart. She saw it, man. She got it. And then it was born. This dream was born. But about 10 years or so into it, as her dream was growing and reaching maturity, her dream got sick, and then her dream died. There came a day when it looked like the dream was over. 
I want to tell you something. Don't be surprised when your dreams are challenged. Think it not strange, my brothers, when, when trials and tribulations come upon you. It will look like the dreams that God put in your heart that were starting to come to pass. and that When they were making some progress, growing into their fullness, it's, it's going to look like it's over. For some reason, suddenly and inexplicably, you begin to lose traction on those dreams and you lose momentum on those dreams and the excitement turns to concern and the concern turns to panic and panic turns to sorrow. At least that's the natural course of events. But y'all, we can learn something from this little Shunammite woman. When it looked like her dream had just come to an end, she said to her husband, Gehazi and Elisha, it is well. It's all good. No, are you kidding me? The boy's dead. It is well. Listen to this, this sentence carefully. She spoke in faith. I, I want to I parse those words. She spoke. In faith. Notice, nobody did the speaking for her. Nobody said, honey, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. It is well. Nobody said that to her. She said that. She's the one that said that. I want you to notice this. She used her voice. Her voice. She literally vocalized her faith. Out loud. She didn't think it. She said it. She said it. She spoke it out loud. Nobody did it for her. She did it, but she vocalized it. And notice this. She spoke her desires, her hopes, which were based on the promise, based on the dream that God had given to her. In her most challenging season, when it was hardest to do, she called things, this is biblical, she called things which were not as though they were. That's what she did. She called things that were not as, as though they were. Now, she did not say the dream is not dead. The boy is not dead. He was clearly de dead. What she did say, however, was this. It is well. It is well. Now, pay attention to this. Well is what was not. You understand? Well is what was not. But she called it as though wellness would come at her beckoning with her words. Your, your boy's dead. Wellness is coming. I call for wellness. It is well. Folks, stay with me. I cannot overemphasize the power of your words. Not your preacher's words. Not your spouse's words. Your own words. Faith and doubt are expressed in your words. Some of us have lost control of our words. And however I feel, I'm going to let it come out of my mouth. You better watch that spirit. You're like a man without walls, a city without walls. you got to get a hold of your words. My Bible tells me 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And it goes on to say it. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words will eventually bring about a harvest. A harvest. I get so sick of trying to defend scripture that talks about the words of our mouth. We're, we're so many times concerned about the length of a skirt or, 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 or do we drink or do we not drink. What's coming out your mouth? What words are you saying? What words are you releasing into this atmosphere? You're either releasing words of doubt or words of faith. Your words count. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, you shall say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and you shall have whatsoever you say. Jesus' half-brother, James, I love James, man. He's so practical. He wrote the book of James. He said this in James 3, 4, and 5. He said, a huge ship, gigantic ship, huge ship, it's steered by a tiny little rudder. He said, he said a forest fire. Y'all, California's burning off the map. Oregon's burning off the map. What I don't understand is why it stops at the Canadian border. I don't get that. But California, Oregon, burning off the map, man, just on fire. Crazy. All those fires started with a little spark, just a little fire. And the, and the Bible says that that little rudder on the ship and that little spark that starts the big fire, it all comes through the power of words. Through the power. I don't think I'm getting through. I'm going to preach this with or without you. Facts may say your dream's dead. Faith may say, uh, fear may say your dream's dead. Faith will say it is well and the dream is going to live again. It is well. The dream lives on. Folks, that is not name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Those are pejorative terms. What, what she did was not easy. It was hard and it required fo focus and tenacity. How could she do that? How could she in the face of death say it is well? I'll tell you how. She, 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 she took that dream that was dead in the natural back to the one who promised it in the first place. She brought it back to the source. She didn't have that dream. He put that dream in her. And when it died, she brought it back to him. The dream originated, she was saying, at your word. And I'm looking to you to sustain this dream even though it looks like it's over. I know it doesn't look good right now, Elisha, but my hope is not in how it looks in the natural. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to. Listen, and I'm on, I got to be careful here. I, I know, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who are so concerned about how things look. Well, that's going to look bad. We don't want it to look bad. You know, the optics. And I get it. I'm a pastor. I'm a public figure. You know, a, a world-renowned author and musician. I get optics, okay? I'm not stupid. I get optics, PR, etc. But folks, I'm just telling you, sometimes we short-circuit God because we're so concerned about how it looks. And not, not just like, 
uh, how does it look in the general public? But when things look bad, we, we're just so quick to say, why it looks so bad. I just don't see how anything's going to work out. We're so negative. That negative spirit, is, is, it's a tongue set on fire from hell. I see what I see, and I just call it like I see it. Well, you need to get an eye of faith and start seeing the word and looking at your circumstances and say, this is all subject to change. This is all subject to change. My God can change anything, and he put this promise in me, and I'm not settling for an aborted promise from God. Give God some praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, y'all. Negativity, that, that negative, I just call it like I see it. Well, you'll get it. You'll get it just like you call it. <laughs> Here's what I'd rather say. It is well. It is well. Uh, what about your dreams? When it looks like they're over, are you just going to lazily state the obvious? Or will you choose, like this little Shunammite woman thousands of years ago, to speak in faith? Take it to the source. You gave me this dream. It looks like it's not coming to pass. Oh, but here I am, and it is well. It is well. My, my friend Paul Price, he's a pastor of the church in northwest Arkansas, they started, he and Tara started that church years ago, and, and man, they're just, they're just tearing it up. They're awesome. I love them. And, and they, they chose of all weeks, this week, to vacation. They're on vacation right now in Destin, <laughs> staying right there by Pompano Joe's. He called me yesterday. He's like, man, I'm at one of your favorite spots. I'm like, Paul, man, God, I wish I, wish I was there. But, I mean, can I say it? Can I? I said, I'm going to shoot you a picture. So I did. I shot him a picture right here. I said, of all weeks, I get it, man. You know, you like plan and play. You can't plan that. I mean, he just, he was like, well, here we are. And, and it was, we laughed about it. But he said something so powerful. He said, well, the weather may look bad, but I'm just going to tell you right now, the atmosphere is fine. It is well. Everything's well over here. And I want to tell you something. There may be some turbulence going on on the outside, all the dire predictions, but I've taken my dreams back to the source of those dreams, and I've said, Lord, here they are, and it is well. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Come on, give God some praise right now. Woo! Hallelujah, hallelujah. I, I don't have time to, to tell the entire story, but, but the story of Horatio Spafford is just fantastic. A, a storm came in and blew his dreams away, blew his dreams away back in the 1800s, and, 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 and it was just, it was just miserable, miserable. And, and he wrote this song, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Won't you stand with me right now? I talked to a fellow recently who I've known all my life. And uh, 
he's 60 years old. And I, I learned a few things from him that I didn't know before. It was just this week. And uh, he's been serving God for years. I knew he had a testimony. He walked away from God, got far away from God. But I've, I've reconnected with him in probably the last 15 years. And he's been doing great. I just assumed he'd been serving God for quite some time. Uh, I, I knew he was in ministry, uh, especially recently. And so we were just talking, and, and, and he told me some of his story. And he said, Donovan, you know, he said, uh, when I was a kid, when I was a young man, very, you know, very young, he said, I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, I, I feel like God's spoken to me, and he's called me to be a preacher. I said, wow, that's, yeah, I can relate. He said, you know what my pastor said? I said, no. He said, my pastor looked at me. This man that I adored, he looked at me and he said, God doesn't call children. So you come back to me when you grow up, son. He said, I was devastated. I was like, you know, I got the nerve up to tell him what I felt like God had said and he just blew it off like, you're wrong. He said, did come to find out. Just a short time later, I realized my pastor that I adored was having an affair with my own mother. He said, when that came out, I checked out. I'm done. He said, I walked away. Never going back. Now, he was 60 when I was talking to him this week. And he said, I'm preaching, blah, blah, blah. I said, stop for a second. I said, so you were called when you were a child, made that audacious move to tell your pastor, and then you found out, you know, he said that terrible thing to you. I said, so you've been preaching. I knew that. I said, but when did you start preaching? I'd like to know that. When did you start preaching? He said, Donovan, I didn't start preaching until a couple years ago. I said, wow. What? Like 40, 50 plus years dormant. But then I got a little excited. That's sad. Isn't that a sad story? But then I got excited because I looked at him and I said, you know why you're preaching? Because the dream lives on. The devil couldn't kill the dream. Tried to extinguish that fire and that calling in you as an 8 and 10 year old boy. But boy, that devil, he sure did miss it because he was telling me some of the stuff he's been preaching. And I'm like, you're, like a, you're preaching like a man on fire. I want to tell you something. God is able to restore the years that the locust and the canker worm has eaten. If he put a dream in your heart, you hear me. It ain't over. It ain't over. The dream lives on. It may look like it, but you need to start talking in the natural. Bring it to God and say, it is well. It is well. God, I know you can do something with this. Bring your old dead dream to the Lord and say, I know you can do something with this because I'm telling you, he can resurrect it. He can bring it back to life and he can put a fire in your belly. He can do more with what you have left than what you lost. That is just such a core value in my world. He can do more with what you have left. Get up and move on in Jesus' name. Close your eyes. Lift your hands to him right now. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord.
Use me for your glory, God. Resurrect those dreams. Father, there are dreams in this house. Father, the body of Christ, there are giftings and anointings that you're wanting to release in this house today, God. Devil, you're a liar and a thief. Our dreams come from him, belong to him. He's put them in our hearts, God. And Lord, we're asking Lord Jesus that you would resurrect them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe God's... Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.